What do you do when our culture promotes ideology that is the complete opposite of what Scripture says? How do you think through what you are being told? How do you help your friends and family process these lies with a biblical worldview? That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, I'm Robbie Lashua. Thanks for being here with us on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Um, Today, I'm again all by myself. Um, Our other host, Tyler, he's still on his honeymoon, enjoying his time with his new bride. And so we wish him all the best and uh, excited for him to come back and to hear about his fun trip and also uh, just what marriage is like and, and how he's enjoying it. So Tyler, hope you're doing well, buddy, and we'll talk to you and see you soon. Well, today we're going to be talking about culture. This is Christ's Culture and Coffee, and there are some really interesting things that have happened in our culture over this past week, and I just wanted to help us um, think through them. Uh, how, how do we rationalize them? How do we how do we apply biblical standards to the things that we're hearing and seeing? And then how do we articulate them and help explain truth to people who seem to be blinded by what's going on and, and seem to be believing in in the voices that they're hearing in our culture, uh, especially when it comes to anti-biblical and um, non-Christian uh, views uh, of things. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But again, Christ Culture and Coffee, we always start with a coffee tip. And so here Here is today's coffee tip. Now, this is a little bit of uh, history. This is historical coffee tip. And um, this is uh, something I didn't know about, actually, (laughs) until I was researching it a little bit. Uh, But it's very fascinating. The classical music composer Beethoven enjoyed coffee. Um, He was very snobby, however, about his coffee. I think he probably had some compulsive behaviors, um, definitely a genius. Uh, But when it came to coffee, he would have been the worst customer at a Starbucks or at any coffee shop when it comes to the demands. Uh, I'm sure you've been in coffee shops and you've seen people who have these outrageous um, orders, these, these crazy ideas of what they want people to do. You know, I want you to put the syrup in, then I want you to put 25 percent of the shot and then I want you to stir it counterclockwise until it almost all melts and then after that I want you to put the milk in then the rest of the espresso and they just have these demands because I don't know why Uh, maybe to make themselves feel important or whatever now there's nothing wrong with knowing what you like and asking for it but when it comes to things that really aren't going to make a difference um I think that's being a little too snobby. Plus, it holds up the line, and I guess that's where I get a little cranky about it. But Beethoven, uh, when it came to coffee, this was uh, his, his pet peeve. He would only drink coffee that was made with 60, 60, 60 coffee beans per cup. 
He wouldn't drink anything else. It had to be made with 60 coffee beans because he said that was the way to make the perfect cup of coffee. So uh, historians talk about how at times he would he would count the beans and recount the beans to make sure that there were only 60 beans and no more and no less going into his cup of coffee. Uh, they talk about how even when he had guests, uh, he wouldn't allow anybody else to make his coffee, <laughs> that he would have to get 60 beans exactly in his cup of coffee. And so uh, being picky and knowing what you like is one thing, but uh, could you really tell the difference between 59 beans and 60 beans? I don't know. If any of you want to test that out and see if you actually could tell the difference, even between 60 beans and 50 beans per cup, uh, I'd love to hear about that. You can uh, send an email in to ChristCultureCoffee at gmail.com, or you could hit us up on our Instagram account, ChristCultureCoffee. Um, but we would love uh, to hear from you if you want to do that experiment for us. But I think Beethoven was just being a little uh, obsessive about his coffee. And I understand that. There's certain days where I want very specific things with my coffee. Uh, but that's a little tip for you on history. Uh, next time you're having a cup of coffee with somebody, share that tidbit with them and, and discuss Beethoven, his, his great art, the, the amazing musical uh, works that he put together, but also his very distinct uh, taste in specific specific type of, of coffee. Well, let's move on to the topic of today. So um, I want to talk with you, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me. So two days ago, uh, on May 13th, I came home from work and uh, saw my kids, saw my wife, and my wife says to me, we had a really interesting thing happen to us today, Robbie. And I said, oh, okay, what was that? And she said, well, I want, I want our daughter to tell you, Greta, our seven-year-old daughter. So I said, okay, Greta, what happened? And she said, dad, it was so weird. I said, what, what, what happened? What was weird? And my seven-year-old looks up at me and she said, dad, we were watching Arthur today on PBS Kids. Um, many of you know the show Arthur. Um, it's, it's been on for, I think, 22 years. It's a kid's show on PBS. And they were watching it, and there's good lessons on there, and they, they teach some nice stuff, and um, and yeah. Anyway, so my kids were watching that, and my, my daughter says, we were watching Arthur today, and Mr. Ratburn married another boy. And I said, what? What are you talking about? I looked at my wife, and, and my wife said, yeah, she told me that when I came downstairs, because they were watching it while I was up there doing some things, and I thought, no, that can't be, so we rewound it and watched it watched it and that's exactly what happened and so I, I was thinking oh my gosh so I, I investigated this and and sure enough that's that's what occurred on the latest episode of Arthur it's called Mr. Ratburn and the special someone and what happens is um, the kids in the class hear Mr. Ratburn talking about like uh, flower arrangements and catering and all this stuff uh, and so they, they they think that that he's going to be getting married, and uh, they mistake him as getting married to Miss Patty, and she's kind of mean to him, and she's kind of overbearing, and so the kids don't like this idea because they keep saying he should be with somebody who's kind and nice, and and who he can have fun with, not Patty. She's you know she's not kind and not nice. So the kids all go to the wedding, and and the big plot is that they're going to object when it comes time to object. They're going to object because they want Mr. Ratburn to be married to somebody who's nice and not Patty. Well, while they're at the wedding, they figure out that Patty is actually Mr. Rapburn's sister. And so, the, oh, man, well, they're not getting married. So then the question becomes, who's Mr. Rapburn going to marry? And then the next shot shows Mr. Rapburn arm in arm with another male, uh, Patrick, coming down the aisle. 
And um, my my wife's telling me this is what happened. My daughter's telling me this is what happened. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Where in a PBS kids show, they're pushing the homosexual marriage and, and ideology. Um, and and man, over the last couple of days, my daughter keeps bringing it up. She She's seven. And uh, she keeps saying, Dad, it was just so weird what happened on Arthur. Dad, it was just so weird what happened. Um, and I feel bad for her because I know she's she's thinking through this. She's struggling with it. She can recognize that it isn't the way things are supposed to be. And, and I think that that's interesting. I, I never sat down with her and explained to her, you know, heterosexuality and homosexuality. Um, but she, as a seven-year-old, recognizes that that isn't the way things are designed to be. That isn't the way it's it's supposed to go. And so um, all of these, the, a ton of thoughts were coming into my mind as I'm, I'm listening and processing what's going on. And, and the first thing the first knee-jerk, re- knee-jerk reaction that I had was, why do I have to deal with this with my kids? You know, my daughter's seven, my son's four, and they're they're so young. I wish I could I wish I could keep the world from them, right? I wish I could I could uh, sequester them somewhere, and they wouldn't have to deal with this stuff, and they could just be kids for a while longer, and they wouldn't have to process how weird things are getting and what's coming at them, um, you know. And that that's that's my hope. That's that's my that my wish inside. Uh, but the truth of it is is that um, these ideals in a broken world usually can't be. And so we got to deal with things as they come, and we got to be prepared to deal with them as they come. And so um, as my, my daughter and my wife explained this to me, we had a discussion. We had a talk. And I sat them down, and I said, well, what do you guys think about that? And my daughter said it was weird, and my son said it was weird, and that they didn't like it. And I said, well, wh- what do you think should be? And they said, well, uh, uh, a boy should marry a girl, right? A boy and a girl are supposed to be married. I said, well, why do you think that? Where do you get that idea from? And so we pushed them back to uh, Scripture, right? The, the Bible teaches that that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, it's also supposed to be that way. Just um, we, we can know from biology uh, how, how people fit together in a sexual relationship. Not to mention... Um, that that is the only um, partnership where you can procreate a child through sexual intercourse. Uh, so it seems like there's a design behind it, and this is the way it was intended to to operate. And when we get away from that, it it it's not good. It's it's operating outside of the design. And um, I didn't explain everything to my kids like that, but I, I told them. I said, you know, you need a mom and a dad to have kids. So when when a boy marries a boy, they can't have kids, and when a girl marries a girl, they can't have kids. My seven year old daughter was kind of interested in that. She was thinking through that, going, "Oh, that's really interesting. You need both to have kids." And I said, "Yeah, like you guys are our kids. We created you, right? You, you're made in our image and likeness, just like all human beings were made in God's image and likeness. That's why my kids look like me." a little bit and they look like my wife a little bit and they act like us because they're little image bearers of us um, and that was the the first blessing you know God gave us in Genesis chapter one he said be fruitful and multiply right and we've been given this amazing uh, gift this amazing ability to procreate after our kind human beings that that look and sound and <laughs> act like us it's it's a it's a way a way in which we are creating God's image to be able to create other people in our own images it's fascinating to me 
And so I was explaining this to my, my seven-year-old daughter in, you know, age-appropriate language, ways she could understand. Um, but she's just been really, over the past couple of days, she keeps bringing it up, how odd this is. So we talked about what Jesus' opinion of this was, right? What, what does Jesus say about this? And uh, in Matthew 19, 3 through 6, I love this passage. Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Because what's going on here is in Jesus' time, there was a redefinition of marriage going on. Now, what was happening was there was these two different theological um, uh, groups. One group, uh, reading the Old Testament law where Moses talks about divorce, uh, they interpreted it as um, that you could only be divorced in case of an indecency, is the word, um, meaning you could only be divorced if your, your wife commits adultery. That's what it's referring to. Well, there was another group saying, well, an indecency, you know, that could be anything. Like that could be, she burns the dinner. She burns my toast. Uh, she's out. I can get divorced from her. And these were real arguments that were going on in the first century in Jerusalem. And so a group of people uh, come to Jesus and they want to know his opinion about it. And I think we can really learn a lot from Jesus in this passage. So that's where we'll pick it up. Matthew 19, three through six. This is what it says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is really a fascinating response from Jesus because what was going on was the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're asking him, what's your opinion of the law of Moses? And Jesus doesn't discuss the law. Think about this. When confronted with a redefinition of marriage in his time, he doesn't talk about the law. <laughs> Now, I remember a few years ago when, when uh, homosexual marriage was being pushed and it eventually did uh, get put into law. Um, the, the law uh, in any society doesn't make things right or wrong, right? Um, what law should do is recognize what is right or wrong, which is uh, objective morality, which comes from God alone. And once we recognize it, we put rules into place to keep us from breaking the ultimate law, which is God's law. So Jesus is confronted with this. They come and they're asking him what his opinion on what Moses said is. And he says, I don't care about talking about the law. I'm going to go all the way back to how things were created to be. I'm going all the way back to Adam and Eve. I'm going back to the original intent for what marriage was supposed to be. And then he describes how they're not two anymore. They're one flesh, right? They're one flesh. And what God's put together as one, let no man dare take apart. What marriage is, is it's one man with one woman for one lifetime. God created it like that in the very beginning to show us this is the way it's supposed to operate. If we were supposed to have multiple wives, God would have created Adam and Eve and a whole bunch of others. If homosexual marriage was to be, he would have created it in that way, but he didn't. It, it's created with a man and a woman. And, and the reason behind that is because uh, men uh, are image bearers of God and women are image bearers of God, but we don't bear his image in exactly the same ways. There are masculine characteristics to God that men more readily represent. And there are feminine characteristics to God that women more readily represent. 
right? And so when we're together in relationship, when one man and one woman are together, they, as a unit, are better image bearers of God than they are when they're separate. And, and this is one of the reasons I think God made us this way, right? God is triune, right? So when, when we're married, the, the, the best marriage is one man, one woman, under one God, right? There's a triune, a trinity type um, a three thing that, that's going on there. And so this is the way God made it. This is the way that procreation works. It's the first blessing that we're able to, to, to make other people like our, ourselves that are in our image and likeness, that are somewhat like us, but not exactly like us. Um, <clears throat> it's an amazing, amazing thing. Jesus' opinion wasn't what the law says. It was what was God's intent originally? What was it supposed to be? So marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman, and sex is supposed to be exhibited in a marriage. Now, the Bible is really consistent on this because all of the sexual prohibitions all the way through Scripture all involve one common theme. Everything that we're said not to do has one thing in common. It is not sex between one man and in one woman, in a marriage. That's the common theme. It seems that God is saying the only place in that, that you should exhibit a sexual relationship is in a marriage relationship, and marriage being one man, one woman for one lifetime. So we have prohibitions in Scripture uh, for adultery. Why? Well, because adultery means you're married and you're having sex with somebody who's not your spouse. So that, that goes back into what I'm saying. Sex is only supposed to be exhibited in a marriage. One man, one woman, woman for one lifetime. That's where sexual relationships are supposed to occur. Adultery isn't that. Fornication, what's that? Well, that's having sex with somebody who's not your spouse before you're married, right? But again, it falls into the category of not one man, one woman for one lifetime. Um, rape, uh, incest, bestiality, homosexuality, same thing. All of them fall into a category of having sex with somebody who is not your spouse. Homosexuality, because they can't be your spouse, because that's not what marriage is. Marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime. Therefore, homosexuality is not marriage. Uh, bestiality, right? No. A different species cannot be your spouse. Incest, right? No. Your, your, your brother or sister cannot be your spouse. So the Bible is very consistent on um, on the, the, the design for sex and the design for marriage. And I love that Jesus speaks to this. Many people will say, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. But we know what he believed because uh, he obeyed the law, he affirmed the law, the Old Testament talks about homosexuality, not to mention we believe Jesus was behind writing the whole Bible, and the New Testament and Old Testament both condemn any sexual activity that's not between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. And so in this passage, Jesus goes back to the way it was designed from the beginning. And I, that's, that's, what I, that's what I tried to do with my daughter, to show her Jesus' opinion is that marriage is supposed to be a girl and a boy. That's the deal. A girl and a boy are supposed to be married. And I don't, I don't care what Arthur is trying to tell you. I don't care what pop culture uh, is trying to, to push on you, Greta. You need to understand what God's opinion is. And, and then I try to reason with her a little bit more and, and explain to her. The reason that we listen to God is because he knows what's best. Because he actually knows what's real. He knows how things were made to work because he made all the things. She understood that. Like that, that resonated well with her. But I want her to understand that God isn't out there telling us not to enjoy our lives. 
but that the reason he tells us these things is because he does know what's best for us. We have a God who invented all the pleasures. I don't know if you remember that or know that. God invented all pleasures, whether it's it's satisfaction in food, whether it's sexual satisfaction. God is a God of pleasures. They didn't catch him by surprise. It's not something that he's shocked that happened. He created them. But he knows how best to enjoy these pleasures. And the the thing is, sometimes we're seeking out pleasures in ways that will destroy us, in ways that are destructive, homosexuality being one of those. Um, We're going to have episodes um, later on 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 homosexuality, on transgenderism, on on kind of the sexual ethic and the way that sex has really become the new religion in our country. Um, But I I, I do want to push that point home today that God isn't against pleasure. He's for ultimate pleasure. He's for exhibiting things in the way that we can get the most satisfaction out of them because he's a good God. And what's happened is that Satan's come along and he's tricked us into thinking God does not have our best interest in mind. That was what what happened in Genesis 3 in the garden, right? The, the, the doubt that was cast into Eve's mind was, did God really say, right? And then, no, God knows that if you eat from this, you'll be like him. He's holding out on you. He knows that there's something you could have or be that would be really great, but he's a mean God, and he doesn't want you to have it, and he's withholding, right? And anytime we sin, that's the lie we believe. I have to go out there, and I have to get what I need or what I deserve or what will make me happy, and God's trying to keep me from progressing, from being happy. Uh, there's nothing further from the truth. God actually has our best interest in mind. And when we believe the lie that he doesn't, that's when we give in to sin. And that's when we can begin to destroy ourselves through seeking pleasure or, or seeking other sins out that, that don't ever bring, bring ultimate satisfaction. They're fun for a season, but then we see that we're enslaved and eventually they destroy us. So that is, um, you know, in a nutshell, what I was trying to explain to my daughter uh, in, in ways she would understand. I want her to grow up thinking, God is for me. He loves me. He sent Jesus because he wanted to save me from the mess that I've made of my life. Uh, I want her thinking that way, not thinking God is just a God of rules who's against everything. Because that's not true. He gives us rules because he loves us. He, he tells us this is the best way for human beings to live. And so if you have kids who watch Arthur... Um, there's, there was a couple of things I thought through with this. Uh, my daughter's been asking me, she's like, Dad, can we keep watching Arthur? Ah, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I still don't know what I'm going to say about that. I definitely don't like that episode. Um, but do we throw all the rest of it out? Do it, and this is the question I've been thinking about. Do I want to teach my kids to be reactionary? Or do I want to help them navigate the culture and think through the messages they're being told? Now, um, watching Arthur or not watching Arthur, I, I can do that whether I let him watch it or whether I don't let him watch it anymore, right? And there's wisdom that comes in and knowing your kids, and so I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all for that. But this goes back to a conversation we had a while ago about parenting and how there, there's a lot of times two types of ways that, that Christians parent their kids. One of the types is to quarantine them, right? I'm going to keep them away from all evil. I'm going to hide them away so they don't experience anything bad. And in Doing that, I hope to keep them from sinning. And then there's the inoculation approach, which is no, um, we're in the world. We can't keep bad at bay, right? I didn't think Arthur was going to pollute my kid's mind with a homosexual message, (laughs) but it did. It came in and it did, right? 
Um, and so be- because of that, the quarantine method, I think, is really hard to do. But I also don't think it's very effective. Inoculating our kids, helping them think through the stuff they experience. I want my kids to ask me questions while they're at home about homosexuality. I want them to ask me questions about anything that they're they're pondering or, or any message that's being told to them through movies or music or books. I want them to, to ask me, and I want to be able to navigate them well through Scripture. What does God say? Because that's that's ultimate truth. That's where we go to, to understand reality. That's our guidebook for life. And I want them to see that. I want them to be able to hear the message and go, okay, uh, something's fishy about this. That doesn't really go well with what I understand. Why? Well, let's go back and see what God's opinion is because he knows what's ultimate reality. He understands how things work. And man, what better person to take advice from than the person who really knows everything that's going on. And that's kind of the method that I, that I took with this. I want to inoculate them, not quarantine them. I want to help them to be able to go out when they're adults and, and assess when they're watching a movie, when they're hearing music. Think through things and go, okay, no, I see what they're trying to do. I see what they're trying to tell me with this message. Uh, and, I, and I can't buy that because I want to follow what God says. And I hope that's what you would do with your friends and, and your kids. We got to think through things. I think the most dangerous um, the most dangerous thing we can do is just let let our culture affect us and not process it and not think about what's being said. Um, going to movies, going to concerts, whatever, we need to be able to to critically think about the messages we're being told all the time and then assess them according to a biblical worldview. That's what I want to do in my own life. That's what I want to do with my kids. And that's what I'm hoping you'll do. I, I hope that you'll think through these things, whether it's movies or music or um, you know blogs you're reading or books or podcasts you're listening to, whatever. Assess it through what Scripture says. I think that's the best method that we can go through. So the Arthur uh, episode is something that happened this week. It came out. I want you to be aware of, and I want you to know how to process and think through that, especially with young ones who might be affected by that. But we also had another event happen this week, um, and it was, uh, it's been all over podcasts and the news, and I thought, I thought we needed to discuss it a little bit. And that has to do with this abortion ban that was um, signed into law in Georgia last week. Um, it's great. They're saying that that um, no one can have an abortion after six weeks. Now, there's been a ton of backlash on this because people are saying that, you know, a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant until they're eight weeks along. And I'm thinking this is great because we're not killing human beings. Uh, they're putting a ban on killing human beings, right? But that's not how uh, certain people see it. They think that this is an assault on women's autonomy and on women's choice. Um, and as we've said before in previous podcasts, I'm, I'm all for women's choice, um, except in the area of killing people. I don't think men or women should have a choice in killing or murdering the innocent. I don't, I don't think that's a choice that anybody should be able to have. And I don't think that takes away autonomy or choice. Um, anyway, so so one of the one of the ways that this this uh, abortion law in Georgia was was um, tried tried to be refuted or there was backlash against it was with the actress Alyssa Milano. Now um, I'm trying to remember she when I was a kid she was in the show Who's the Boss and she was like a kid in it, but I think she's also been in some movies and I think she's in that show Charmed. Um, anyway, she's an actress, and uh, this is always interesting to me. Um, I don't know why actors and actresses think that they have the the um, 
that they have the the truth. I don't know why they think that their opinion is valid because they never offer arguments. They only offer opinions, right? Uh, and I don't know why so many people listen to actors and actresses. I'm not saying they can't think and I'm not saying they're not intelligent. I'm just saying I, I hardly ever hear good reasoning or good arguments given by them. It's usually just opinion and um, yeah. So um, uh, <laughs> just this is a side note, but a pet peeve of mine is why does someone who pretends to be something other than they are on screen suddenly have the right to speak to all of these important issues and to tell me how to live my life? Uh, it just doesn't make sense, right? They pretend to be somebody else on screen, which qualifies them to tell me how to think morally. No, that doesn't follow. That, that doesn't work. Um, but they do have a platform. They do have a platform because a lot of people follow them. And so Alyssa Milano, uh, last week, she tweeted out this. I want to read the tweet for you. She said, Our reproductive rights are being erased. Until women have legal control over our own bodies, we just cannot risk pregnancy. Join me by not having sex until we get bodily autonomy back. I'm calling for a hashtag sex strike. Pass it on. Now, there has been a lot said about this tweet. Um, so many <laughs> conservatives have said, that's what we've been saying the whole time. You shouldn't just have sex all the time. You should be careful with that. You should wait until you're ready for marriage. You should wait until you're ready to have a kid to engage in the activity that produces kids. Yeah, that's what we've been saying all along. We're with the sex strike. Let's have abstinence. Come back, right? So many people <laughs> are saying that. Um and I don't see – I don't understand how she doesn't see how absurd what she's saying is because that's exactly the point. We, we would very much like women to think about having sex um, and, and to not engage in it as much as they do because the reason abortions are so high is because so many people are engaging in, in sex when they're not married. When it's not in a relationship between one man and one woman, one woman for one lifetime, because that's the best place to raise image bearers, to raise people that you have have been blessed to to procreate, right? And so many women uh, and men, uh, obviously, are having sex outside of marriage and not doing it that way. And so instead of you know, for a long time, instead of not engaging in that activity, it was, well, I want to engage in the activity because there's pleasure in it. And I want to seek pleasure and I want to get what I can from it. But I don't want to handle what comes with the pleasure. I don't want to come with what I don't want to I don't want to handle um, what comes with with having sex, which is you know, getting pregnant and having children. And that's one of the reasons abortion happens. It's, oh, it's inconvenient. You know, we've talked about this on previous episodes. And if you want to go back and, and learn the um, uh, abortion apologetics, the pro-life apologetics stuff, you can listen to episode 10 and 11, uh, pro-life apologetics 1 and 2, on, on the podcast. And it'll help you to be able to articulate and, and, and argue with people and make a case for life. Um, but just thinking through this is it, it's it's interesting because she tweets this idea of let's withhold sex until we can kill people because we want to have sex. Well, if you would just stop having sex a lot, then then it would it would be okay because you wouldn't be creating babies that you need to kill, right? So, anyways, th there was a lot of backlash that came from this. 
But I just wanted to mention um, a couple of things. Um, this idea that she says of we need to stop having sex until we get bodily autonomy back, right? Bodily autonomy, control over their own bodies. That's what it means. And, and this is a big um, argument that comes from the pro-choice side, that it's my body, it's my choice, right? And again, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I want to repeat it. Um, it's not a woman's body. Uh, the, the, the child is not a woman's body. It has completely different DNA, right? So scientifically, it's not her body. It has completely different DNA. It has, it can, and a lot of times does, have a different blood type. Uh, when the blood uh, is is in the um, the placenta, there's this membrane that separates the mom's blood from the baby's blood. And if the baby's blood somehow breaks through, the mom's body uh, responds with an autoimmune response to attack that blood that gets into her system, and it attacks it as a foreign body. So the mom's body knows that the blood of the baby is not her body. So, so this idea of bodily autonomy, to have the choice of what happens to my body, it, it's a moot point because it isn't her body. Now, something's happening inside of her, right? There are changes going on, but the baby isn't the mom's body. Uh, scientifically, in, in every way, it's not. It's a separate human being. And nobody has the right to kill a human being. And that's always what you want to get the debate back to. Is this a human being or is it not? If, if, the, if the unborn isn't a human being, then you can do whatever you want to it. But if it is a human being, you cannot kill it. And the, the arguments over choice or over rape or over education or future, um, that's not what we need to be arguing. We always need to get back to what is the unborn. And if it's a human being, there is no justification. There is no argument, including bodily autonomy, that, that justifies killing a, an innocent human being. And so that's what we want to always uh, get back to uh, with this. But the preborn is not a woman's body. The other thing is this. Bodily autonomy, doesn't that also apply to sex? Why, I asked one time when we were, at, we were on a pro-life mission trip and we had a feminist professor come in and she was telling us about abortion and she said, I just believe women should have a right to choose. Women should have a right to choose. And I always like to rephrase that and say, what you're saying is that women want to have a right to choose to kill somebody. It, it, I'm all for women choosing, um, every, I mean, everything, right? Like who they marry, what TV shows they watch, what kind of clothes they want, what kind of car they want to drive, what kind of education or job. Like well, I am pro-choice in all of those areas. We're for people making choices. But I don't think anybody, men or women, have the right to choose to kill an innocent human being. And so this, this idea that I just believe in a woman's right to choose, it's, it's to choose to kill a human being. That's what that's that's always the, the that's the end of the sentence. We always need to point that out. And I asked I asked this professor, okay, why don't you think that the choice was made when she decided to engage in sexual activity? Wasn't a choice made there? Wasn't a choice made? She it's not like she didn't know that this could um, this could produce a pregnancy, right? That that's the only activity that does produce pregnancies. <laughs> so it's not, I don't think it's a shocking conclusion, or at least something to think about before you engage in sexual activity. That hey, there's a chance that this could uh, result in a pregnancy. 
So I said, why wasn't that where the choice was made? Why does she have to get another additional choice? And now the choice involves killing a human being. That doesn't make sense to me. I do think she has a choice, and I think that women have bodily autonomy. But when you engage in certain behaviors and there are um, natural consequences that come with that, I don't think that, that killing a human being is a choice anyone should make. And so I've never understood that. And she, she didn't have an answer to that. She didn't say anything. Um, it's almost like sex is, is something that you don't have to think about. You don't have to make decisions on. You don't have to be wise about. And you should just do it because pleasure is what we seek. And then when the consequences come, you're trying to um, shirk your responsibility, uh, even to the point of killing another person. And so I just don't think that that's a choice anybody uh, has to make. The, the other thing that's always confused me about this bodily autonomy argument is, well, number one, it's not your body. It's a different person's body. And then why don't they have bodily autonomy, right? Why doesn't the preborn have a choice in the matter at all? Ha half, of, half of the aborted babies are, are female, right? Why, why isn't women's choice uh, or women's rights apply to them? They have no rights at all. Um, they don't have bodily autonomy. I've never heard anybody explain why that's the case. What they would have to do is explain and show why the unborn isn't a human being, uh, which is something that you can't do. And I really would encourage you to go back and listen to the pro-life apologetics podcast we have because we talk about the science and the philosophy that proves that the unborn is a human being. And so this idea that, you know, I want bodily autonomy even if I'm taking over somebody else's bodily autonomy, I mean, think about how crazy that is. Um, Alyssa Milano is out there fighting, and I, I was just going through her Twitter feed, and, man, she tweets, like, all the time and retweets and shares, and that she just lives on there, it seems like. And she's arguing that it's not fair. We want women to be able to have a choice, bodily autonomy, and yet she, she, she's pushing an ideology for bodily autonomy, as as you know, that's that's the argument. Bodily autonomy, women's choice. But but what she's pushing for is that you you don't give people a choice. So women's choice to take away the choice of an unborn because nobody's asked them what they want. I'm pretty sure that they would all say, "I'd like to live." Um, but but so you're pushing bodily autonomy, but at the same time, you're taking bodily autonomy away. You're removing it from another human being. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And, but that's what I've been seeing with a lot of what's going on and being said, especially surrounding these abortion bills um, and anti-abortion anti bills, is, is there's no logic being, being talked about here. There's no reasoning. There's no evidence. There's no argument. It's all opinion. It's all opinion. We can't let this happen in our country because women won't have rights. Well, but you're not concerned about the rights of the female babies you're killing, right? So you're only concerned about some some women's rights. And then what about all the women that are pro pro life? They they're disregarded, so their rights don't matter, right? You think they're completely wrong. I mean, so there's just a lot wrong with the argument that's coming out, especially from Alyssa Milano. And now here's the thing. I don't know if actors are the best people qualified to talk about moral issues. Um, I, I don't. They, they, they do things on screen that are immoral, right? And now they're, um, they're, you know, correcting all of us on morality. Not to mention, you know, not too long ago, that whole Me Too movement was going on. And, and I'm 
as a Christian, am completely behind that. Like, I don't think there should be abuse of power in order to get women to do what you want sexually. Like, it's horrendous, the stuff that <clears throat> that um, Harvey Weinstein did and um, uh, so many other people, you know. But um, I don't understand how from a non-Christian perspective people can say any of that's wrong because a lot of the stuff that they're saying was wrong is stuff that they've done on screen to make money. Uh, so I'm just I get confused sometimes on the morals coming out of Hollywood, and I've concluded that they don't have good arguments; they just have opinions. And in order to to know what's true, I think the best thing to go to is Scripture. It makes sense of reality. It gives valid reasoning. And as Christians, that's where we need to go for truth. And and we shouldn't just read it and go, okay, I accept it as true. We should think about why is God saying these things? Like, does this make sense? What what's the why behind the what? And Man, as I've done this through my life, it just proves itself over and over and over again that Christianity is the best way to live. And, and I'm convinced it's the best way to live because it's real, because it adheres to what's actually true, that the world is a certain way, humans are a certain way, and that God knows what they are and what that way is. And he tells us, look, because of how reality is, this is what's best for you. A lot of these people are living in a fantasy world, and they're, they're trying to conform reality to their will instead of conforming their will to reality. And I would w much rather live in reality than live in a fantasy world that I've created, right? I want to find out how to live the good life, a virtuous life, um, and, and have human flourishing, abundant life that Jesus said he, he offers. And that's the goal of, I think, all Christians. And, and the best way to go about that is to, to get the information from God and see how he's designed things to be and live accordingly. Well, I hope this has helped you a little bit think through just some cultural issues. Again, uh, check out that Arthur episode. Um, you should see it and be ready to talk with people about it. Um, and then definitely stay in tune with what's going on with these um, abortion bills. I know Alabama just passed a really great one. Georgia passed one. I'm just so excited that people are standing up and speaking for the unborn, giving them a right to voice their opinion, right? Giving them a right to life and a right to bodily autonomy and not not allowing others in, in the name of convenience to to kill them. So I'm excited about what's going on with some things, but we've got to stay in tune and we've got to know how to lovingly but truthfully um, help our culture see what's real. And, and that's what we want to do on this podcast. We want to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. And so I hope that that's something that as you've listened to these episodes is, is happening in your life. I hope that you're seeing Christianity is what's really real and that you can go out there and you can make a difference in our culture. People need to hear um, these, these abortion arguments. People need to think, not just your opinions, not just think, oh, I think that's a cool actress or actor and I'm going to go with them on it, but to think through what's being said and to think through um, what God says about these things. So I'm hoping that you'll go out this week and that you'll be able to engage our culture with these issues. Talk to somebody. You buy them a cup of coffee, tell them the Beethoven tip, and then talk to them about Arthur and say, what do you think about that? What do you think about ideology? Why do you think that homosexual, homosexual marriage you know, is okay? Um, 
really great opportunities to spark conversations with people and talk about who the Lord is and, and what reality and truth is. So thanks again for being with me today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. And uh, we just thank you so much for being loyal listeners. If you could go on, this would help me. I, I mean, I need you to do this. I, I really, I really need you to do this. If you'd go on iTunes and you'd rate the show or you'd write a comment there, it, it hardly takes any time, but it really helps us to get more notoriety uh, so that we can be reaching more people with truth, with good thinking, with apologetics theology, God's word, and also with a little bit of coffee. So thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and we hoped that you'll tune in next week. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.